What's up, guys? This week on the podcast, we have the CEO of Ronald McDonald House uh, here in Dublin. Her name is Marion Carroll. We have a great chat about the foundation, how it got started, where it's going, and how you guys can help out with this really, really good cause. We also talk about how what it's like running a, a charity during the COVID situation and how um, how the guys over there are working hard to make sure that they uh, remain open, remain uh, serving those uh, those families who need that help. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to the guys in studio. Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod. Uh, we've got a very special guest here today from the Ronald McDonald uh, House Foundation, um, Marion Carroll. How are you doing, Marion? I'm great, thank you, Luke. How are you? I'm good. And I'm good. Mark, of course. Oh, Mark Baker's out there. Usually, I usually introduce Mark first, but uh, I thought I thought I'd go with Marion uh, today. Um, so, we, like, we were just talking there. I'm and <clears throat> we, we <laughs> Mark's okay, good, great. Uh, we were just talking uh, so much, and we we were kind of talking about all the stuff we wanted to talk about before we hit uh, record, which is often the case here on the Sharkpod. So I thought we'd get going here. Um, so Marion, you're very welcome. Um, we'd like to today. I, I think if we could just learn a little bit about the Ronald McDonald House out in uh, Crumlin Children's Hospital. Um, for for those of people who know me personally, like we've we had a baby last month. Uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, we were in Crumlin, uh, just sorting some stuff out with a little baby, and he's back uh, back home now, and he's he's healthy, thank God, and all that type of stuff. Um, but when I was out there, I saw a lot of you know parents who were very very tired, very on the kind of on the edge. Um, a lot of them didn't uh, were from quite far away from Crumlin, um, uh, like where, where they lived. And all that type of stuff, and then um, they were talking about uh, Ronald McDonald House, and I'd never really heard. I maybe have heard about it, but didn't really know what it was. Um, and maybe Marion, we might start off about kind of what what the what the the entity is and uh, how it came about and stuff like that. Okay, thank you, and thank you for inviting me to tell you our story. And um, it's something we like to tell people. It's it can be difficult, but it's actually very positive as well. So the Ronald McDonald House charity started back in the early 70s in Philadelphia. There was um, a, an amazing doctor who is still alive and still involved after all these years, Dr. Audrey Evans. And she looked after very small children and young children in her cancer unit in the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. And at one stage, this family arrived. It was called the Hill family. And little Kim was diagnosed with leukemia. And back then, the, the prognosis was very poor for kids with leukemia. Now, it, things obviously years on have has improved hugely. But she spent months in the hospital and her parents, Fred and Fran, ended up on the floor, on the chair, nowhere to stay, nowhere to have meals, nowhere to be comfortable themselves. And the doctor felt very badly about this and always felt that what would have been great would be to have a home for families like this. So when Fred got through the, the initial stage of, of uh, hospital with Kim, they went home. Fred was actually a very famous footballer. He was caught, he played for the Philadelphia Eagles over in Philadelphia. And he decided he'd organize a fundraiser with his pals on the team to try and raise money for this hospital so that he could help out. He was very pleased at having been cared for. So he went back to Dr. Audrey Evans with a considerable sum of money anyway. And she said, well, that's lovely, but it's not enough, she says. And he says, what? He says, yeah, I need enough money to build a house. So I need you to get more money. So off he went again, engaged. 
at that time with the local McDonald's organization that was in Philadelphia because the, the um, manager of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time, at the time was a fellow called um, Jim uh, Murray. Obviously, a name like that was an Irish connection. And he was their manager. He knew the chap who was involved in McDonald's at the time in Philadelphia. They got together. They made an agreement that they would donate all of the proceeds from the sale of shamrock shakes, which you may have heard of. <laughs> they would sell their shamrock shakes in all of their restaurants and they would donate all of the money to this cause so that they could help build a house for these families. And because of that arrangement, and at the time, their mascot was Ronald McDonald and their clown. And so between them, they agreed that the house would be called the Ronald McDonald House. And that was on the 15th of October, 1974. And now there are 374 houses in 45 countries around the world. Wow. And they also have two other programs. One of the other programs, it's called a family room, because in some of the hospitals, they don't have enough room on the grounds maybe to build a house. So what they do is they give them some space in the hospital. And they set up a small area where they might have a small kitchenette or a small dining room. And they would have maybe one or two rooms really where parents could just lie down for a few hours and have a bit of a rest and a break, a small little laundry so they can clean some of their, their kids' um, clothes. And so that happens and that's very successful. And then the third element of it is what they call a care mobile so that they can then take care and medical uh, support out into the community. Now, in big countries like Canada and America and that, they can go very great distances and families would have to travel very far to get to hospitals and that. And so to be able to bring that care out into the community is very helpful. And so then in Ireland, we the, the charity was established in Ireland in 1997. And we then worked and I got involved with them on a volunteer basis then because once they got it established here in Ireland and we were out looking, obviously, to find somewhere where we could build our own house uh, here, we had gone into conversation with various hospitals. But eventually, Crumlin Hospital were very willing to give us the, uh, the ground. And so we started building the house in uh, early 2002. And we were open on the 8th. Uh, the first families came into us in Crumlin on the 8th of November, 2004. And interestingly, we got the keys to the house on the 15th of October, which was exactly 30 years after they had opened the first house over in Philadelphia. And because Jim Murray um, has that lovely Irish name, I contacted Jim and he has always remained involved with the charity and still is still involved with them. So he came and opened our house for us. He was very excited. So he came to Ireland to open the Ronald McDonald House for us. Um, on, officially, we did it in December of that year. So since then, we have looked after 4,374 families wow. from across the island of Ireland. So we've had a family from every single county in Ireland. So Amazing. what we do is now we don't do anything medical. The hospital are incredible. And, and I know you would have seen that, Luke, for your, for your time when you were yeah. over there with Jamie. And they are incredible. And they look after those very, very seriously sick children. But as we always say, for every sick child, there is a very sick and traumatized family. And for every family that finds themselves with that in that situation, not having your own family and your own support system around you, and you find yourself far from home and far from that support system, it's very unnerving and very traumatic. So you might have somebody who lives in Ackle Island and they get fired up to Crumlin. So you know, all they ever hear about in Crumlin is they're killing each other up in Crumlin and things are a bit mad in Crumlin. And basically then they're fired up to Crumlin and their child is taken away and they're very seriously ill and they need somebody to care for them. And really this is what we do at the Ronald McDonald House. 
we do provide accommodation, which is obviously the basic need that people have. But it's more than that. It's about giving them a home that they can actually go to bed at night, have some food, get some sleep. And for us, that's the two. They're very important. Sleep and food are very important so that they can function in the hospital all day, every day. And so basically, our job is to basically wrap ourselves around those families, give them the love, the hug and attention that they need so that they can then go over to the hospital every single day for hours on end, as you know what it's like, so that they can be and have the energy to be with their families. And so it's very much a, uh, an aid to the families. And a lot of now when people are talking about children in hospital, it's about family centered care. And basically, we're part of that family centered care so that families can be right beside the child, be there throughout the diagnosis, be there throughout the care so that they're part of that system. And it really does make a huge big difference to the families. I can imagine like, it's such a when you're in that situation, you really see like, you know, if you stay on those couches overnight, um, it's there's no sleep to be had really it's no it's no one's fault that everyone like they have to look after all of the patients and there's lots of beeping and you know loads of stuff going on it really is um uh it's a 24-hour business you know over there and also uh when we were there uh we were thinking about you know getting like a hotel or something so we could go somewhere to change all that type of stuff and um, but there really isn't that many hotels in that area um i think the closest one we find was like in Kilmainham, which is you know not so far but um mm. you know it's it's not a, a, a like i said if you're if you're from limerick and you've just com, come up mm. there's not that many places really to go to be so close to your kids so it's such a mm. such an important thing um and mm. so when you when you first uh, when you first opened um was it uh like a smaller was it like did you kind of go in kind of like the, the minimum viable uh area or was it with the the size that you have now or has it grown in the last few years oh god you know it has and it, and it and it could grow a lot more when we opened it first we got the the hospital donated the land to us so they licensed the land to us so we don't have to pay, we didn't have to pay them for that and so we built the house and at the time in 2004 it cost us about 3.5 million to build this house and we had designed it in such a way that there would be 16 bedrooms and there are three kitchens and there's a dining room and there's a playroom and there's it's it's a very compact um, setup. But we said, actually, we'll never use all those 16 bedrooms. So we just open 12 of them. And then if we need to, we'll open the other four. I think we were open a week and we needed to open the extra rooms because the thing about it is there's about over 300 beds in the hospital. And so for any, and there is accommodation in the hospital uh, as well, mm-hmm. but the accommodation in the hospital isn't family accommodation. You cannot stay, your children can't stay with you. Yeah. And so therefore to have what we have means that our bedrooms, there are four beds in each of our bedrooms. They all have their own bathroom. And then the kitchen facilities downstairs allow them to cook their own meals if they wish. And so that so, you, sometimes when children, are, as you'd know, Mark, yours are a little bit older, Children are very fussy and they're very fussy eaters. By God, when they're sick, they're worse because they just don't want to eat. And you know that it's important for them to eat. So for our families, being able to just cook something that they know their child will eat is a huge big addition to being able to care for, to, to cater for their families. And so having that, that, that there available for them was just amazing. So we had 16 bedrooms that were open very quickly by probably by about December, by January, 2005, I think we had all 16 open. <clears throat> and over the years, we, we built it in such a way that we could have built on a couple of extra floors. And we, because we thought there would be a need for it at a later stage, but very early on in the proceedings, they started to talk about the new hospital. 
Mm. And we kind of thought, oh, God, we can't be spending money on this if they're going to move into a new hospital. Now, and I will talk to you about that later because that is happening. But, you know, here I am uh, 16 years later and I'm still talking about this new hospital. But so we decided not to build on the current site and to leave it the way it was. So directly across the road, a house came up for sale and we bought a small three bedroom semi-detached house. And it was on a corner kind of site. So we had, there was a good bit of space to the left of it. So we developed it and we now have four bedrooms over there and a kitchen and a dining room and a little garden at the back. And then a good bit of parking because parking in Dublin is at a premium. Yeah. And it's really hard for families if they're coming up and the cost for them to try and park in hospitals. And that's been a, a debate that's been going on for many years. So at least we can give them parking as well when yeah. they come up and stay with us. So we opened that in 2010. We kind of bought it in the madness. That was about 2008 and all of that. Then the whole thing crashed. So getting it renovated um, and extended was probably a little bit cheaper because everything had crashed a bit. And so the costs were a little bit lower. But that cost us about 750000 to 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 buy and renovate and extend and all of that. But it meant that we could cater for an additional four families. So we now have 20 families every night. We have about a 95.5% occupancy. And the reason that would be not 100% is sometimes a family might leave late at night and we haven't the ability to turn the room around to fill it up again. Or sometimes we just have to do maintenance on a room. And so therefore we have to leave it empty until we do that. But we have a waiting list every single night. And there, we don't put more than about 10 on the waiting list because it's not fair to families to give them all that yeah. hope because they, I know they need to ha- have a room with us. And truthfully, I give them a room. I have them on mattresses on the floor if mm. I could. They, I, I just think it's so necessary. Yeah. But we have to be sensible for the families that are there. And the reason it, we have a waiting list as well, the families that stay with us generally have children who are the sickest. Mm. and that stay in hospital the longest. And so therefore, we don't say to a family after they've been with us for three or four weeks, and you're here long enough now, off you go, we need to give somebody (laughs) else the room. What we do is develop a a relationship with the family, and we then become part of their journey when they're in the hospital. And so we've families that, our longest stay family was 889 nights. Oh my God. You work that out. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. Um, isn't it? And yeah. so that little lady, gorgeous little thing, she was in the hospital most of the time and her parents and her brother and sister were staying with us. But and then during the afternoon, she was able to come visit us. But she had to be obviously under the care of the hospital. And she was waiting for a heart transplant. She did three Christmases with us, a couple of birthdays. And then eventually she got the call. They don't do pediatric heart transplants in Ireland. Okay. So they have to go to the UK. So they have to be on the operating theatre within four hours of getting the call that there's a heart available. So she needed to be close to the airport so that that could happen. And her parents were constantly going around with their suitcases packed. So we've had quite a few um, families where the little ones were waiting for their heart transplant. So that was a very, very long time for that family to stay um, away from home. And then bear in mind, the other children needed to be at school and they needed to have some kind of a normal life as well. So the disruption, and I think this is very much part of, of, of a, an illness that people need to understand as well. Yes, you have a very sick child and you need to be beside that child. It's your natural instinct to want to be beside that sick child, mind them and, and, and make them better again. But you have other children. There's a yeah. husband, there's a wife, there's a granny, there's an auntie, there's an uncle. There is this extended family that are also traumatized. And one of the things that we would notice is the other children and the well children, like they understand that there's a very sick brother or sister in hospital and they do understand that, but they want their mother, they want their father. 
And basically, if mum and dad are in Crumlin Hospital and they're down in Cork with their auntie or their uncle, who are incredible and giving them that support, they still want their mum and dad. And so at least for us, what we can do is cater for that sibling. And really, that's what we try and do. So they come up and for many of them, they're just brilliant. They think they're on their holidays because they have now arrived up in the house and we have a playroom and we have a garden and we've equipment out in the garden that people have donated. We've a great big climbing frame thing in our playroom. And so when the, 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 the well children come up and stay with us, they are then close to their parents They're close to their sick brother and sister and they can go and visit that, that sister and brother periodically. But at least they're close to their family and they're having a little bit of fun. And we have um, a cooking for families program and companies and individuals come in every day and cook uh, a meal for our families. And it means our families don't have to think about shopping, cooking and cleaning up. And that's a huge big thing, because what that does then, it, gi- it gives them more precious time with either their sick child or with the, the, the children that are staying with them. And that's very important. We started this in, 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 in a big way, maybe about five years. People used to do it, but now over the last five years, we've developed it. We, we have a, a calendar that people sign up online to. It's, it's permanently full. People say to us, I can't get a slot now until next September. No, I'm sorry. That's how it is. Companies have been incredible. Individuals have been incredible. They bring the food, they cook. And I tell you, this is one of the things that we miss so much with the lockdown. We just can't have that because we can't have people in and out of the house. Obviously, we've had to lock a lot of that down and we really miss the smell of cooking the people in and out. And yeah. all of that brings some normal normality into the lives of our families where they are interacting with other people who aren't talking about sick children all the time. And it's a lovely way to, to, to have that interaction. But it, it it's one of the big things for us is that giving them a meal. So they'll get maybe a lunch or a dinner. Sometimes a company will come in and do breakfast, lunch and dinner, and they all feel like they can't move at the end <laughs> of the day. But they're all getting home-cooked meals every single day. And then they're getting a good night's sleep because they have their own bed, their own bedroom, their own privacy. And it means that it does give them the energy to deal with a very big um, and, uh, and stressful day. So we do, I must say, we do miss that. But that's one of the most incredible ways of doing that. So when our kids come up to stay, say, at Easter, Christmas, holidays, weekends, whatever, they're all, what's for dinner and who's cooking? And they're in the kitchen to have a look and they want to help and they'll bake with them. And yeah. it's about keeping... Um, everything in perspective for the for the kids as well and it gives the parents the ability to be parents with their children and we've had a family that just went home last yesterday what day is yesterday yes they went home yesterday and they had been with us all over Christmas their little Katie um, needs the heart operations and she needs a lot of care she's wonderful but she just needs long-term care so they were with us for all that time and and, and they were up and just Knowing that we're there for them, it's incredible. It, it, it always, Sandra always says, it makes being able to mind her children. I can wash my other children's teeth, she says. <laughs> I can, you know, the basic yeah. things that we do all the time with our children. And you feel so bad that you're not able to do something. It says, I can tuck them in. I can read them a story. And she was able to do that over the last few weeks when Kate was in hospital because the boys could come up and down. Now, not all the time because it's a bit harder at the moment, obviously. Mm. But and, uh, so to be able to do something as ordinary as that during and a, a very extraordinary time and difficult time in your life, they may seem like little things, but they're so, so important. And, and it, that's part of, of what we're doing is, is giving them a little bit of 
a norm a normal life in a very abnormal situation it's so it's so interesting because it has such a knock-on effect of the a sick child like i said there the other kids um the the way that they're going to be interacting with their family um even like you said the parking the parking is such a funny thing having to yeah. so you're going through all these uh, meetings with doctors and surgeons and stuff like that and then to stop say oh wait we have to go move the car it's such a and then you're <laughs> driving yeah. around to dublin anyone who's uh, yeah. trying to get parking in dublin it's uh it's, it can be tough so those mm. those types of things that you don't really think about um are impacting parents as well so it seems like yeah. this is a, a real godsend for those uh, th- for those guys as mm-hmm. as ceo what what's the what, what's your what is your job mostly kind of fundraising is it kind of complete uh, like a organization of the the two houses that you have is it a long-term planning what's what's the what's your role there what'd you say i suppose as ceo i have like overall responsibility for everything and you know when we started 16 years ago there was myself there was liz who was our administrator and Mairead, who was our house manager and that was it there was three of us i don't know how we ever did what we did but we managed to do everything and slowly but surely we managed to bring more people into the um, equation and we kind of extended our house uh, managers side of things so we would be able to mind our families. And we are open 24-7, so we needed to make sure we had enough staff to be able to do that. And then obviously, as as we went through this, um, we needed to uh, assess how we were fundraising and how we were keeping the house open. It costs us about maybe about 500,000 now to run the whole thing. Um, and then when we were talking about the new house at the new hospital, obviously we needed to raise considerably more money. So we needed to extend our fundraising uh, team. And I think slowly but surely, a lot of what I had to do, mercifully, I've been able to hand over a, a lot of that um, sort of responsibility. And then we did take on, and you've met Joe, I think, Mark. Joe is our head of operations and he now has complete responsibility for the day-to-day operations of the house and our families and that. And that's been a huge addition to the team. And then also he's involved with us in relation to the fundraising end of things. So mercifully, I don't have to do, I always think I don't have to do as much as I used to, but I still find myself completely busy all day, every day. And I do this on a voluntary basis. So basically this is what I do. I work full time on a voluntary basis and I just love it. And I suppose for any of us, we'll always find enough to keep our day full of things to do. But apart from having sort of oversight on everything that we're doing, and that is important, one of the big things that has come in is that whole governance issue around charities. And that's a big thing that we have to watch and the board have to watch very, very closely. And we've signed up to the charity regulators code and we're working on that. But there is a huge amount of um, responsibility from a legal side as well and judiciary responsibilities. And you people are giving you money and you need to be able to say to them, yes, we got your money. Yes, this is what we spent on it. So there's so much responsibility around that. And that takes up a lot of time. And then also as part of um, this global charity that we have um, an involvement with, they let us get on with what we're doing locally in Ireland, but they give us a lot of information. They do a lot of webinars for us. They do, and they give us information they they help us to 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 deliver this family-centered care as they as they call it but you can't do that without a lot of training and so they put all of that together they send that to us and so we have a responsibility to make sure that all our staff are also trained properly and all of that and they also give us um 
we must we have a license agreement with them obviously you know at this stage uh, ronald mcdonald house charities is a brand so we have mm. to make sure that we're responsible for that brand and that we keep that brand safe and so we need to make sure they need to make sure that we're doing all of that but not in not in a very heavy-handed way but they are particularly mindful of everything that we're doing and they watch everything that we're doing so come but before the end of this month now we have to do a full report to them and that's a, that's a big that takes us quite a while to do so they know exactly where our money is coming from how we're managing that money how we're managing our staff how we're caring for our families like all of that is included on that report and so i find myself yeah. having to do lots of different things so whether it's fundraising or marketing or governance issues and then dealing with our board so i never i never do the same thing any two days in a row i there's always something that we've had to do and i think particularly and i'm sure it's the same for you um lads now that you're working from home an awful lot and and uh, for us we've had to keep our house staff in the house because they need to be there to mind our families. Mm. So we have three assistant house managers and we have three housekeepers and Joe, and they have been working in the house all of the time throughout all of this. And so what we've done is got all our charity staff, all, there's about five of them. So all our charity staff now work from home. So our CIA, and, and most of them, only one person who's full-time on the, on the fundraising side and then Joe who's full-time, everybody else is part-time. And so they all work from home now. And so we, between myself and Joe, we kind of have to manage all of that. And we have team meetings and, and thank God for teams. So we can do all of that on teams and we work through that. So twice a week when we're in complete lockdown, like we are now, we'll get together and we'll have conversations yes. around what we're doing. And truthfully, I have been astounded by both the house team and the fundraising team and how they have risen to the challenge of, of just doing what we're all doing. This year in particular, we were, we were we're likely to be down about 50% in our fundraising this year. Wow. But we're no different than any other charity. You know, every charity has been very, everybody, but this is everybody. It's yeah. not just charities, it's people. People have been impacted by what's happened over the last year. And uh, uh, people have lost their jobs, everything. There's been such a, a challenge out there for everybody. And then in the charity sector, a lot of people obviously need to hold on to their money, which is very understandable. Mm -hmm. So it was harder for people then to make their donations. But Irish people are just extraordinary. They, they will always give you something, no matter how bad things are for themselves. They're just so generous. And so our, this team that we have of, of, of about five have been incredible. They've come up with some very new ways of engaging with the outside world, keeping our story alive out there and raising funds. And they've worked really, really hard and very creatively. Now they're all a tad younger than I am. So this whole online stuff is very sort of in their world. And so they people have been walking around Ireland, cycling around Ireland. They have been cooking. They've been, they've been doing all sorts of things virtually and which has kept our house uh, alive and well throughout this pandemic. Um, and they've come up with such inventive ways to try and get people to donate and to raise money. And again, they, they have had to start into 2021 to do exactly the same. And it's been a whole new world for us where things are happening now on Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter, all those things that you lads are very comfortable with and you understand how it all works. I personally have had to be dragged screaming into all of this and it's been just amazing. And again, it's it's incredible how generous people are. And then also in terms of the house, though, apart from the fundraising, 
you know, a lot of the companies that would have sent us in volunteers to cook over the years, obviously all those volunteers couldn't come in and do this. So a lot of them just felt that they should just make a donation to us anyway. And over the Christmas period, we, we did a big campaign where we asked people to, to help us because we normally would have our annual gala ball. Mm. And this is where Mark and I became acquainted. So around that Mark would always give us a lovely donation of one of his amazing paintings so that we could put it into our auction. And so instead of um, having a ball, which was obviously we would normally raise about 120,000 at our ball, or yeah. it's been higher on, on certain occasions. That was a big um, drop. So basically, we decided we just reach out to those companies and say, would you like to make a donation instead? And mm. so many of them did right through the Christmas uh, up to, run up to Christmas. And then normally at the ball, we would have an auction and a raffle. So we decided we'd do a raffle online. And people were just companies, hotels, restaurants were incredible, gave us gifts. Uh, Mark donated one of his lovely um, Jorgen Klopp uh, prints. And uh, basically, we raised a considerable amount of money in the run up to Christmas by doing this. So companies and individuals have stayed very committed to us in the same way that they would have stayed committed to the other charities. And I think what happens is your own support base and your own donor base will stay loyal to you so you might not do it with everybody so they have remained loyal to us but in other ways that companies helped us is in their support for the house donating food donating um cleaning products the, the donating uh, toys and and stuff for the kids at christmas so we could still deliver christmas christmas has always been a huge uh, event for us in the house it's mm. such a happy time we decorate the house and um, our families are all there. They bring up all the brothers and sisters. Um, and then for, in many cases, the sick children get to visit us in the house for the first time around Christmas. They may have been weeks, months in the hospital, but they make a big effort to get them over for Christmas. So none of that was going to happen this year. And we were really, really traumatized. But this company decided that they weren't going to use the company that normally does all their uh, decorations in the in their very large building. And so they donated that to us. So our house was decorated from head to toe more than we would ever do it. Companies donated money. Companies wanted to get, and I'm not going to mention any particular company because if I mention one like I get somebody else, I would feel very bad. So, but just, they all know we've thanked them immensely uh, at the end of the year. But the house was decorated, people donated food, people donated presents. Our staff that were on duty on the day made sure that everything was ready for our families so that at least there was a Christmas dinner for them. Because normally in the past, we would have had people coming in on Christmas Day and they would have um, cooked. Our, our, our most famous uh, chef on Christmas Day was um, Ross Lewis from Chapter One. He came in with his family one Christmas and cooked an wow. incredible spread. I, 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 I Hands up, I confess, I'm not usually there on Christmas Day, but Ross and his family... And our own staff that were on came in. So that was an incredible, an incredible yeah. contribution. So people are amazing and people have been hugely amazing to, to uh, the house. Remembering families that although they're having a horrendously difficult time, they're thinking of families who through no fault of their own end up with a very sick child in hospital, nothing to do with covid and they're stranded, if you like, in Dublin. And, and at the, certainly through the first lockdown and now, there would be nowhere for these families to stay. There are no hotels. Yeah. There are no restaurants where they can go and eat. So what would people do? And, now, and we can only cater for, for 20 normally. And even now, we can't have 20 families because we have to keep the numbers down mm. because we need to be able to keep that Social, distance yeah. in the house and we need to keep families safe from each other. And so all of that has been an incredible challenge for us. 
But what we have said from the very beginning is our objective is to keep the house open. Because if we don't keep this house open, what are our families going to do? And there are two families that I remember well, uh, one family from Mayo and one family from Cork. They eventually went home in around May and June of this year. And at that stage, they had one family, the Cork family had been with us 18 months and the Mayo family had been with us for 16 months. So if we had shut down, what would they have done? They needed to be in Dublin and they needed to be beside their sick child. Now, one one of the couples... They didn't have another child. So both of them stayed in the house at that time. And uh, during the whole thing, the hospital would only let one parent over at a time, which was mm-hmm. very difficult for parents, as you can imagine. But at least for, for that couple, they were able to get some rest and then change over their shifts. But at least they were there together, which was really, really important. For our other family, they weren't quite so successful. Um, they had another little child at home. So uh, one of them had to be at home with the child and one of them had to be with the child up in, mm-hmm. in uh, Crumlin because we couldn't have family staying with us. So none of the children could stay with us. So we needed to make that possible for them. And they, uh, I think the dad stayed with us right through that first lockdown for about six weeks and never saw anybody, ever saw any of his family, didn't yeah. see his 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 older girl. Um, it, and that was really, really difficult. So if he had been doing that in like a and b or something or somewhere, even if there had been one, but there yeah. wasn't, not to have that human engagement. So at least he could come over to the house every day. There was always somebody to talk to, somebody to listen to him, somebody, as we always say, and it really, this is my big thing about my bar oak. For me, giving those families a hug, like a physical hug, is so important. People have some very bad days and they just need somebody that will do that for them. So at least we could give them the virtual hug and we yeah. could we could look after them. And although we couldn't have volunteers in cooking for us during this mad time, and there was a couple of companies that took um, uh, uh, offered great support and they're still doing that. And they're still, Artisan Foods are one of them, they're still delivering food every single day at lunchtime wow. in individual packaging so that our families can be fed and they can be looked after. So lockdown and this whole um, pandemic has been a very serious challenge for us in the house. But our Mm. only thing was we are going to stay open, which means we have to keep everybody COVID free. We have to keep our our staff uh, safe. We need to keep our family safe so that we can stay open. And to be able to stay open and still to be open during all of this is an incredible testament to the staff that have worked there every single day since it started. And the support we've had from so many really kind and generous donors, be they individual donors or uh, the companies, it's been just amazing. It's been and the, eye-opening. It's it's great that you guys get to keep keep open for the whole or stay open for the whole time. Mm-hmm. Tell me, is the as you mentioned that there's five hundred thousand just to keep you kind of keep things ticking over? Mm-hmm. Do you guys get a lot of the support from uh, like McDonald's or the government or anything, or is it one hundred percent just mm-hmm. people uh, out of the goodness of their heart kind of helping out? <laughs> okay, it's I, and I know that's the question that's always asked. The the from the government point of view, uh, up until. This summer, I could hand and heart say we never received a penny from the government and we didn't. We've never received any money from the government or any support, financial support from the government. But this year, because charities were struggling so much, the the Department of uh, Rural and Community Affairs decided they needed and they had been approached by um, a couple of the main charity organisations to try and get them to acknowledge the fact that charities were really seriously struggling. They were still trying to offer their service, which is very important because without them, the government would be having to do this. And so we 
uh, along with a, a number of other charities, benefited from that. And so for the first time in 16 years, we Good. received money from the government. So I can't say we don't get any government support. So we, we received a, a considerable uh, donation from the government, which really made a, a, a huge big difference to us. So let's hope we can stay engaged with them and we might be able to get some more support from them. And then the other one is the relationship with McDonald's. I know it's always a, a question that's asked, obviously because McDonald's got involved in the opening of the first house in Philadelphia. What they have done is they have remained a, as a charity partner right th through since 1974. But like any company, they're not going to give you all the money that you need. Like on the basis that I told you there were 375 houses around the world and all of the other 60, I think there's something like 65 chapters around the world. McDonald's can't fund all of that. Yeah. But what they do do is, is they give us access to their customers. And really, I'd say McDonald's customers have been our lifeline over all of the years. And so what McDonald's allows us to do is to put our collection boxes into their restaurants. Nice. Um, and they have, so whether it's in the drive-thru or whether it's in-store, and we put in our collection boxes. And then the McDonald's customers have always been very good, and they put their money in there. Now, things have changed a little bit, and like everything, they've moved on. And so they now have gone to those touchscreens, kiosks, I think mm -hmm. they call them. And so in many countries now, they are working on the kiosks, and it has been successful where there would be a roundup situation on the kiosk. So if you order on those kiosks, it will ask you, would you like to make a donation to the charity or would you like to round up? Whatever it might be. We just don't have that yet in Ireland. So okay. I know it's, it is coming. So that will make a big, huge difference to us because, again, the customers are so generous. And then the other thing is that we get an opportunity to do two events in the restaurants. So we do we sell our little yellow houses and they're like little decals and people buy a house and they put their name on it and they stick it on the window or something. And then at Christmas, we sell Santa hats. So we sold our Santa hats through all of the McDonald's restaurants this year. But because all the McDonald's restaurants have been closed this year, that's mm. had a, a sizable impact on the funds that we have been able to bring in. And then McDonald's always do a charity uh, event themselves and they donate all of the proceeds to the house uh, and they managed to do that in September because things opened up a little bit in September. Yeah. And so that actually managed to, ha to happen in September. And we usually what they do is they sell a brick for us. And then there's usually a big stand of a house and then people buy a brick and they put their name on it and they put it on the brick. But we couldn't have all of that um, touching. So we couldn't do that this year. So they sold our little yellow house, but they took all the costs on. So they would take on all the costs of what we do in the restaurants but all the money that's raised will come to us. So whilst I, they're not, say, giving us millions every single year, which because they can't, they're making it possible for us to be able to say to, to customers, when you make a donation, all of that donation comes to us yeah. because McDonald's take up the costs in the restaurants in terms of the POP and the advertising in-store in and that. And so that's where we would get a lot of support from them. Okay. And also they would do, a lot of their staff will do events for us and they will run marathons and that for us. And they will um, come up to the house and cook. A lot of them have, have sent their, their staff into us and they'll spend the day cooking with us. So, and one of the other things is they do introduce us to their suppliers. Obviously, McDonald's are a huge company. So there's a lot of suppliers that will be involved with them. And those suppliers have also been incredibly generous uh, throughout the years. They'll take teams in our golf. They'll take a table at our ball. They'll donate product to us if we need it. And so they have stayed involved with us. So we have a very big relationship with McDonald's, mm -hmm. but that's not our full, in any way, doesn't come close to the, the, fund, the full funding of what we do. We have 
phenomenal numbers of companies. And you can see our annual report on uh, our website. There's about three pages full of that report that names every single individual our company that have donated to us in any given year. So our support is huge and wide. It's not McDonald's based, uh, although that support is there and I would never underestimate that. It's very important. But I think it's always important to remember also that so many people support the work that we do. They understand what we do. They appreciate what we do. And they would like, probably like you, they have children. They know what it's like to have a sick child and they they want to be part of it. So we have an, an incredible number. So without mentioning again any particular names for anybody who wants to see all of that information is on our website we have been we're very transparent about all of that in relation to how the governance is is addressed and so all our financial uh, reports are on our website and our annual report is on our website and so that's there for people to view we're very open and honest about where our funding is coming from. So and hopefully that answers your McDonald's question. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And Mark, it was something that I never, and it, like, I think the last year, everyone's been kind of, uh, maybe not everyone, but people are, have been impacted a lot uh, with the current situation. So they've been thinking about how they can kind of manage their, their affairs, you know, given the the changes. Um, but they never, I never really thought about how charities would be affected like that, where if all of their, um, their outlets to, generate uh funding like um mcdonald's like mm. any other uh, uh events that they would put on stuff like that mm. if they're not happening it's going to be uh, make a big impact so it's something i never really uh, thought about did you, did you think about that mark or did that kind of cross yeah you? i was thinking because i know events are probably one of the biggest mm. just haven't even been to one before and and it's I, i'm sure it's tough on every charity like what I, I was thinking like what are some of the ways you mentioned earlier the walking and what are some of the ways that individuals like me like luke could actually help some creative ways for 2021 if we're still i won't say we're still in lockdown six months but you know, <laughs> yeah, you hopefully, know. Hope, hopefully not but i know the team have, have devised quite a number of new events for this year so for for january they had come up with this it's a your name challenge so there's there's a list so 26 different exercises and then depending on your name you pick the letters from your name and then you have to do all of those and it's your your you won't have to do it now lads because we're halfway through january so you would have had to do it for the whole of january so there are people around the country now that have signed up to this and they're doing you know um push-ups and just all you know like things you do in the gym and yeah. that so they've selected all of that so that was the your name and you you your the your name challenge so you do all of these exercises every single day and then at the end of it you have to fill in your form to say that you're done and then you'll get a a, a a medal. We have a new uh, RMHC medal that, that we give out. So that's that's one thing. The next one that's coming up then is a pick and mix challenge. So there's about, oh, there's a list of, of, of ideas where people can pick, say, up to five of them. Now, they're not all physical challenges because not everybody wants to go walking and running and cycling. But things like, say, um, read five books this year, learn a new language, teach yourself to bake, take up a musical instrument. So you pick whatever you want out of the list. And again, you sign up. You make a donation and you can <clears throat> and, and you make that donation online. We have it all set up through our website and you can make that donation online. So that's a nice idea that you can actually get involved and do that. We will be doing um, our walks. We're probably going to do our uh, in relation to our hug, which I'll talk to you about in a second, is in kind of to keep that going is we're probably going to do a hug uh, run in February around because of 
Valentine's Day and all of that. And we'll encourage people then to do that and they can sign up again online and they could do that. Then the mini marathons went virtual as well, like everything else last year. But a huge number of people signed up. The Cork mini marathon uh, it has always been a big support for us because so many of our families, like I mentioned that we had 4,274 families, 884 of those families have come from Cork. Like it's extraordinary when you look at the numbers across Ireland and we've had families from every single county. The next closest county to that is um, Donegal and Kerry both have had the same number, which is three, 331 and Galway's at 393. So there is no similarity in numbers across the board and they're all down the, the, the wild Atlantic way because they're obviously the furthest traveled mm-hmm. and so probably they end up staying with us but the, so a lot of the mums will know about us down in Cork and so they do the mini marathon down there and that's going to happen again this year and then we also have the Dublin mini marathon and one of the things because we've had to go online a lot more people from Dublin are learning about us but because our, our families end up staying sort of the criteria for to stay with us is distance traveled so we don't have that many families that stay with us who are from Dublin and so we haven't been as well known in Dublin although people drive past us they haven't stayed there and they don't know people that have stayed there but with the way that they've done all of this online a lot more people in Dublin are beginning to learn about us and so Mm -hmm. a lot more people are doing things for us in Dublin and they're doing the cycling and the running. We had people doing uh, virtual cycles last year. They're all going to be doing that again this year. They do a cycle. We try to get them to do 60K because we do our own cycle normally around the Blessington Lakes. Again, that was cancelled. So we just asked people to do it. And so we our cycle shirts have been sponsored. And so if they do it and they raise over 150 euro, they'll get a cycle shirt and a medal and whatever at the end of the day. But all of the information and all of those events are going to be online. The, um, and they're up on our website now. We also have, um, for people who just want to make a quick donation, obviously, there's the, um, the old um, text, text uh, 50300, and you can donate four euro. You just text in-house, and you can, te- you can donate four euro to us. We're still available for people who want to support the work in the house if they want to send in um, food, are, we've a, a huge number of, of sanitary products that are coming in. Obviously, we had to increase how we were bringing in sort of wipes and all those wonderful things that are now required. And so we have companies that are doing that. So there's always something. It's like any house. Yeah. There's always something that we need in the house for people to be able to, to, to do. And then the, the, the one big thing, and this is something that's very new. We had worked, as I explained to you earlier, Mark, we had worked with Deloitte. Um, um, on their impact day and we were very lucky to be chosen as one of the charities that was actually taken on for the whole day and under the very incredible and professional eye of Emily Marr who's very senior in their PR world in Deloitte and her team there were about eight of them overall the whole day they came up with an incredible communication plan for us for 2021 and one of the highlights and the, one of the lads that was on the call, call came up with the idea is the 21st of January is National Hug Day. And because we have our little Baroque, this is our little uh, chap, we des- we got this fella made the year before last. And what we wanted to do is just to give him to families as a hug when they either came to the house or when they left the house. And then it- he came into his own last year and we started to sell Baroque online coming up to Easter. And so that we could get people who couldn't hug their families and their friends to send a hug. And so they were all sending hugs. And we actually sent something like five and a half thousand hugs across the island of Ireland 
and we have some incredible photos of kids hugging and loving their little barrow. And so for National Hug Day, we have developed a campaign which is starting next week where we're going to run out some lovely um, collateral that our own in-store graphic designer, Joanne, has designed for us. And it's all about asking people to buy a hug, send a hug, remember to give a hug. But basically, at the end of the day, everybody is very separated still. We're um, at the worst part of this pandemic. It's hard to believe here we are nearly a year into it, thinking we'd be well gone. And it's so much worse than it ever was. So we just want to make a fuss on our uh, hug day and we will be hopefully all over social media. But also we're hoping that there will be some of our ambassadors on television talking about it, on radio talking about it. And basically it really is just encouraging people to to celebrate hug day and th to think about our families and that if they buy their barogue online, and 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 donate make that donation that hopefully we'll be able to start off 2021 on a, a stronger footing in terms of our fundraising but also it will help us to share our story so that's that that's happening next thursday the 21st of uh, january so national hug day so look out for our lovely little images and one of the little images, um, and which we can see it up on my mantelpiece there, one of the little images is a little fella, and his name is Jimmy. And Jimmy <coughs> was very, very seriously ill. And Jimmy is a son of one of our staff members. And, you know, we're, here we are dealing with, with all our own families and that are staying with us, and they're very seriously ill children. And God, we came very close to the bone with, with them, Louise and her family when little Jimmy was diagnosed as well with cancer. But I'm delighted to say he's made a huge recovery and he's fabulous. So he is our little hug ambassador. Fantastic. And he was willing to have all these photos taken of him and our Barogue more. We have a very big Barogue and we have our little Barogues <laughs> and all of those pictures. So that's our little Jimmy, who is our, um, our ambassador and his little sister, Phoebe, who was born in the middle of all of that. So they had a very traumatic two years, bless them. Um, but they're all doing well. And so this is really just about sharing with the, the world, the country, that Thursday is a hug day. Hug somebody, you know, if you're in a bubble. And if you're not, send somebody a hug and tell them that you're thinking of them and hope that eventually we'll all be able to get together. And life will get to be a little bit more normal than it is because it is very challenging, as I know, for, for all of us, for no matter what age, no matter where we are, it's been a huge, big challenge for everybody. So hopefully we'll all get this vaccine and we'll all be able to start having a little bit more normal of a life. Absolutely. I think we'll we'll put all those uh, all the links to the, the Baroga, uh, not Barogi, as I was uh, corrected earlier by my wife, uh, Baroga will be a... Uh, the plural. Oh, right. Mahalin. All right. Mahalin. So uh, we'll put that. We'll put that in the uh, in, in the show notes. I have, as well. I have a couple here. They're lovely. Thanks for sending them out. Nayla and Alyssa have, have yeah. two yeah. here. Well, we had to make sure the two got two. <laughs> yeah. We couldn't yeah. have you fighting yeah. over over one of them. We'll have, Luke, I'll have to send you one now that I know there's a little there's a little one in your world. Yeah. But actually, and the interesting thing about the Barogue is is I in my previous life I was an Irish teacher. Um, really? I went to an all Irish national school, and I was that uh, Moonshore. So I went. I was a secondary teacher in Mentan. Uh, probably yeah. long before either of you were a figment of anybody's imagination but um, I loved it and I've always Irish is very close to my heart and um, I, my kids went to an all Irish national school as well we're not um, uh, um, native speakers by any stretch of the imagination but I have a great big graph of all things Irish and so when we were looking 
to 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 name our little chap. I said, "Here, Barog," and it's just it just works, yeah. and it's it's a nice little name. So I, I always liked I always liked Barog because it sounds like kind of like a bear hug. It kind of Barog. It sounds like what it is, which I always liked. You know, what I mean? and there's a lot yeah. of there's loads of Irish words like once because mm. I was completely uh, ignorant of the whole uh, language because <laughs> I didn't do Irish in school. Um, but when I started to learn it, a lot of the words kind of feel like they are. It's very uh, mm. it's a very mm. uh, kind of empathetic language. So I, I really like that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Listen, we're gonna we're gonna try to support you guys as much as we can. One of the things that I wanted to do um, after being in, in the hospital and kind of seeing uh, the need for this type of thing is uh, this year I want to do a little bit more for for charity and stuff like that. Um, so it's part of my kind of yearly goals to get more involved. So uh, me and Mark will probably do something like some sort of run. Or last year, yeah. me and we were going to do a a, a really long uh, triathlon, but that was got got cancelled. Um, so me and my friends did it around. Um, around Greystones and Wicklow Mountains anyway. Um, so maybe this this year we're thinking about getting some people together, see if we could do something there. Um, lean on HubSpot if they're listening, uh, see if we can drum up some support there. Um, they're always very uh, generous uh, to these types of causes. So listen, we're going to try do to... I ha- Luke, do I really have to go running? Can I just paint, do a painting? No, please? you're going to get your little little uh, rudders on and your wetsuit and we're going to get you in the water. I've never seen you swim before, Mark, so let's... Uh, let's uh, <laughs> I'm not great. <laughs> Well, very careful. I'll get I'll get you down the cove with one of those uh, little flotation devices that you can for training. You'll be fine. We'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out. But uh, Marion, I like to thank you so much for spending a Saturday morning with us having a chat. Um, we're going to try to support you as much as you can. It's such a such uh, an important thing for people. And like you said, uh, up until for sixteen years, there's no uh, kind of government intervention. Just when it, no. it just at, at crisis point when they uh, when they get involved. So um, it's something that you know we're gonna hopefully maybe uh, get going this year and have a, a longer term uh, relationship with you guys. Make sure that this work keeps on uh, keeps on happening. You know, thank um, you. And I think that one of the big things, Luke and and Mark, for for any charity is this opportunity to actually tell your story. Like getting your story out there makes such a difference because so many people, as you said, you didn't know anything about us. And, and people, unless you have a sick child in hospital, you're probably not going to know about who we are and what we do. But having the opportunity to be able to chat about what it is that we do and w- the kind of help that we need so that we can so we can continue our work. And, and hopefully at the new children's hospital, we are going to build a 53 bedroom house. Wow. So that will be we can talk to you about that one next year, um, yeah. Luke and Mark. But so, you know, we have great plans for what we need to do. And so we can't raise the necessary funds if people aren't listening to our story. And so this, to me, to be able to chat to you this morning for a whole hour, God, surely yeah. I'd go on for hours about what we do. I'm so happy to talk about what we do. But I really have, can't thank you enough to give us the opportunity to just sit and talk to you about what, you know, what it's been like for us, knowing it's been the same for other charities as well. But to know that we have people like yourselves that are listening to us and wanting to help. So thank you both. It's just incredible. I know you're young dads and you're starting off in the world. And just to know that you are interested in care about families is just a huge support system for all of us. And and thank you. It, It means a lot to us. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll, we'll, do, well. we'll do our best, Marion. Uh, well, next time we'll uh, hopefully have have something. Uh, it won't be empty-handed when we have a next chat. We'll have something to kind of chip in. But uh, okay, so this will go out. I'm going to try to get this out before the uh, uh, hug day as well. So that's uh, next Thursday. So we'll probably get this out Wednesday as well. Um, one more question before you go: Would you prefer a Shark Pod T-shirt or a Shark Pod mug? It's 
kind of the one that Mark has on there. That's probably the one. Well, all I can say is, on the basis that I am old enough to be your mother, I think t-shirts aren't quite my thing. Okay. So basically, I'd love a mug. Okay. Well, listen, right, <laughs> I'd the, love a mug. And the, thank you for offering. And I'll send you, and I, I know we sent Mark his borrowed, so I would send you a borrowed as well. All right. Uh, Luke. All right. So it was lovely to meet you. Let's talk very soon and uh, have a great weekend for the rest of the weekend, right? Bye. Thanks, Mel Marion. Thank you. Okay, thank you, lads. And stay safe. Stay safe. Bye.